Insurance Unplugged is sponsored by Expert.ai. Expert.ai offers AI-enabled solutions that save time, cut costs, and improve outcomes for insurance companies by extracting critical information from documents for faster, better, and more consistent decisions. Expert.ai's enterprise AI platform for insurance powers solutions from underwriting to claims with unmatched accuracy, flexibility, and scale. Hi, this is Lisa Wardlaw joining us today. We have a true insurance luminary, Luis DiMadino. Luis is a retired U.S. Air Force colonel, one of my favorite aspects of Lewis's background. I got to know him well working in another engagement. And the managing partner of Data Curiosity, which is a consultancy specializing in data preparation, governance, lineage, master data management, and the integration of large language models. He is a true trailblazer in understanding the regulatory landscape's impact on AI. Lewis has been a chief data and analytics officer for two large global insurers, where he laid the groundwork for data strategy, technology architecture, and operational excellence. Lewis is also a Six Sigma master black belt with over 15 years, who's counting, right, management consulting experience in various sectors, including insurance, reinsurance, financial services, and manufacturing. He's also, in his spare time, an adjunct professor at Renaultsler Polytech Institute and holds a master's in public administration at BS and MIS and a wealth of leadership and strategy knowledge from the U.S. Air Force War College. Welcome to the show, Lewis. Thank you very much, Lisa, for having me today. You're often referred to, and you're wearing it today. As the bow tie data guy, um, before we dive into insurance specifics, I would really appreciate you breaking it down for our audience because I think we we choose words like buzz buzzword soup or alphabet soup and acronyms, etc. Can you break down AI for our audience? Help them understand it. Maybe they could, you know, ask Chat GPT to explain it for them. But we're coming to you live with Lewis, the Bowtie Data Guy, breaking this down for us. Give our audience an understanding of what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, I'd like to take it one step higher, uh, Lisa, and talk a little bit about data science. Uh, so uh, artificial intelligence is an aspect of data science, and data science is the full encompassment of data all the way through the use of it uh, in these areas. And so artificial intelligence is a broad spectrum of area where we can uh, utilize tools that are mimicking the uh, decision-making or the knowledge base of a human and use, utilizing the, the power and the storage, uh, data storage of a uh, computer to go ahead and uh, optimize it. Now, in uh, within artificial intelligence, we have sub-components where we look at uh, areas of uh, machine learning, uh, which focuses on the developing of algorithms and models that enable the computers to, to learn from data and make predictions uh, without being ex explicitly programmed. Um, and then we've also got uh, the more recent uh, areas of understanding around generative AI, uh, which is this artificial general intelligence which uh, represents a system of uh, human-like intelligence that can perform an intellectual task that uh, a human can do. Um, and so it hasn't been fully realized, obviously, in that uh, area. So uh, this idea of consciousness 
of a computer hasn't been uh, exploited uh, completely yet. But as we get further into quantum computing capabilities, uh, we'll definitely have the opportunity to get there. Um, folks at Google are saying that this is something that they're looking at potentially within the next five years. Um, and then finally, uh, you know, a couple of areas specifically that I think uh, are uh, areas that insurance would take advantage of is natural language processing uh, or having computers being able to understand, interpret and generate human language and then also computer vision. Uh, so the capability around being able to use machines to interpret and understand visual information from the world. And, you know, an example of that is our self-driving cars. Uh, so the computer vision capability of that is a, a big component of what uh, helps our cars, uh, the, the newest uh, cars out there, Teslas in particular, uh, to help them drive uh, self-sufficiently. Which I'm grateful for, given I have one. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> but you know, Lewis, I think when I when I listen to all this, and I, I was thinking about your your um, emphasis on five years, right? And, and and you and I were literally kind of working together five years ago, and we were struggling with things just as an industry, struggling with things like relational table mapping and all these very foundational things. And if you think about how far we've progressed in five years. And then where the projection of five more years to come will be, for me, one of the things that I spend a lot of time thinking about that I think definitely needs to be the unplugged, it's not the hype or the hyperbole, it's the pace of change and what foundation is needed to support this, you know, you know, not the, not the shiny, you know, disco ball but the actual foundational pace of change, which leads me to my next question that I would love for you to shed some light on for our guests. You were, in my mind, one of the probably first chief data officers. I mean, you were definitely on the early edge of when chief data officer became a position, when it became a function and form. And again, that sounds absurd now because we all know chief data officers is just, you know, part of our vernacular. But you were one of the real first pioneers, you know, creating that role, creating that function, creating that um, overarching governance. So how do you think about the distinction between AI strategy and data strategy? Because I will tell you, every time I'm having a discussion with a C-suite or if we're having a panel or, you know, any sort of a, how are we going to do this? Everyone always says, it's one thing to talk about your AI strategy, but if your data strategy, i.e. your foundation isn't in place, it may be difficult to move as fast as the AI strategy can take you. So please wrap this up for our guests from your lens. Sure. So, uh, you know, I did have the privilege of being one of the first uh, chief data officers out there. And one of the things that I had learned very early on in my uh, tenure was this idea of uh, you have to have a long-term strategy around how are you going to aggregate, integrate, and improve the accuracy of your data to be utilized within uh, any model going forward. Uh, and so the challenge with that is really understanding that data is a multiplicative issue and, and not a uh, additive issue. And so as you bring data sources together, if you have a confidence in a data source that's at 90%, 
and you bring another data source together that's also at 90%, you don't have two data sources that are now at 90%. You have one data source that's actually closer to 80%. <laughs> and as you bring in each data source, you know, you could bring in four data sources at a 90% confidence level. But when you go ahead and bring them all together under one area, you're actually looking at a master data source that could potentially be closer to 66% confidence. And Lewis, the reason uh, I giggled on that, just to kind of ping pong a little bit with you on that is like, first of all, just the fact that the math gets real complicated real fast. And so yeah. if, if we just think about, you know, clearly chief data officers understand this. But do, but do business people understand this when they're demanding, like, we all have to put in our board reports, we're going to be AI enabled, AI activated, you know, let's, let's break it down. You know, there's a lot of complexity to, to your point. I mean, a 90% confidence interval by most data standards would be, you know, relatively good depending on the use. But to your point, you just showed like four of that took that from 90 down to, I think you just said 60. Like, that's... <laughs> Very complex for people to think about. And then they've got to try to apply that to AI. So are you saying that the, clearly it's more than just confidence interval too. How are data officers connecting into data strategy or AI strategy with their data strategy right now? Sure, sure. And, and, and so, you know, where I was going with the emphasis on the, the multiplicative concept of this is that the increase in accuracy has to be paramount for any data organization. So, and that comes from governance, really understanding your data, really understanding where it's coming from, its sources, how to go ahead and improve its accuracy over time, and how to lift that level of confidence associated with those, uh, with those data sets going forward. On the AI strategy, you really should be looking at it from a standpoint of the end in mind. And so uh, there are opportunities around use cases where you can go ahead and start to identify, hey, here's something that I want to know about, whether it's an effectiveness, efficiency, or decision-making opportunity. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to utilize this data uh, and these components of this data, so the elements of the data, uh, to help feed what it is that I'm trying to solve for. And so now what I can do is I can emphasize or really focus on the tactical aspects of how do I increase the data elements accuracy that are going to be used in that AI uh, use case to really focus on how can I get some value quickly and uh, turn it around into, you know, essentially an experiment that I can go ahead and exploit um, with uh, learnings over time. Uh, and as more data is available and more d accurate data is available, I can go ahead and I can increase my uh, my confidence in the outcomes of that model. Uh, so that AI strategy is something, you know, it's not a long, uh, you can have a long-term or a strategic effort to look at, you know, how am I going to optimize my resources within that AI space, whether I've got data scientists, whether I've got models, whether I've got consultants that are coming in and helping me support it. But all those uh, uh, resources that are being attributed to that AI effort, that's really where the AI strategy can really be optimized. And you can look at it from both a long-term and a short-term effort as to how you grow your organization, how you grow your capabilities, and how you go ahead and lay that into the organization. Well, that's so insightful. And I just love how you take so much of that experience 
and then connect it to all of the tentacles that people are having to weave together right now, right? Like, it's just not this, you know, we, we, we did this at first, by the way, like AI is not new. We've been talking about it for a while. You know, you and I were probably talking about it five years ago. Like, how are we going to deploy this? And it was just this, it, it always comes across as like this thing that you go do. And it's like, it, 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 it's kind of like, you know, fueling your body with water. It's, it's not this separate thing you do. It's kind of like, you know, how you weave it together, but, but let's, let's go deep into the, like, you know, behind the scenes, which is the real objective of insurance unplugged and AI in the city, this corporate insurance jungle that, that we're all navigating, which is, you know, it's, you know, coming at us quickly, you know, flavor of the month, but we're all going to be expected to react to it. So let's take this into a little bit of a setting, Lewis, where you and I are colleagues <laughs> and I'm the business person saying, Lewis, I have to do, you know, I have to do AI. I have to deploy AI. You know, I'm, I'm, I'll pretend I'll wear the hat. I'm head of innovation. You're the, you're the bow tie data guy, chief data officer of X company. You know, let's have a discussion where I'm saying, Lewis, I, I got to go. And you're going to mm-hmm. say our data, our data strategy is not yet mature enough. Talk me through how our listeners are going to think about that because I predict and suspect that that's a real discussion that's happening that many mm-hmm. people aren't acknowledging or admitting. Maybe they are, but that's the reality of what's going on right now. So, so how are you and I going to, how, how are we going to box that one out? Because right, we've, we've got a duty to both sides. Mm-hmm. Right. And and your long-term data strategy is really focused around automation, right? How am I bringing my data together? How am I automating it? How am I cleansing it? How am I mastering it? All that is through, uh, you know, automation software and capabilities of bringing that together. But for short-term returns, you know, where you're starting to look for, hey, I, I've got to, you know, put something on the board here within the next quarter. Right. Or, you know. talk about you know, it in that annual report that's coming up. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And so the challenge there is, uh, again, with that idea around the end in mind, if you've got a use case or an experiment, and, and, and that's, you know, the, another thing that I'd emphasize here is that this isn't a, a, a very linear path of I'm just going to walk down this framework and I'm going to come out the other end with a answer. This is experimentation. So it's try and fail. It's, 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 you know, uh, seeing what data works, what data doesn't work. Can I go ahead and can I buy some data from a third party vendor, uh, that's out there that can maybe augment or, or bring some, uh, highly valued, uh, information, uh, that I can, um, uh, bring into the model. So the, the challenge there is, um, you know, with that end in mind, can I experiment and can I experiment fast enough to one, make sure that I've got a good data set and then two, have the resources to then go ahead and exploit it through some model building exercise. And and that first part, I'll, I'll just emphasize what I've done in my past is I've utilized data engineers to be really that um, lower cost uh, effort to uh, optimize the data that's going to be utilized within a uh, an experimentation model. Lewis, you mentioned two things that just made me smile when I heard you say it. You mentioned like experimentation and to, to optimize and then be, being, you know, fast, right? Like those are, those are two things quite bluntly. We as an organ, like just as an industry, we're, we're not known for. And I'm not saying we don't, I'm not saying that we're not innovators. I'm not saying that we don't push the envelope, 
but we're a very conservative in, in industry. It takes us a long time to iterate, mainly because there's a lot of tentacles to regulatory, to underwriting, to buy it. I mean, there's all sorts of, we can't just like unleash this beast. Like everything we do requires consumer policyholder regulation, which I, I understand that we, we both do. We're veterans in this industry, but you know, practically speaking, what are steps that you think people are going to be able to activate and to take? Like, how can I move fast if my data strategy isn't where it needs to be? Because again, look, you and I are company A. I'm going to literally tell you confidentially over lunch or dinner or whatever, Lewis, we're doing this. And I need you to be like, it, it, I, you can either be my partner in this or you can be in my ally or you can be my adversary, but I have to do this. And, 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 and so first of all, like, what is your lens to the innovators that are going to be asking this and the business people that are going to be asking that this partner, friend, foe, how do they align with their C, their CDO? And then what do you ask CDOs to do to be approachable and sought after? And I'm not saying because they have the title. I'm saying like the private discussion that you and I are having, right? So, so the the way I'm interpreting what you're asking is, you know, how are you capable of uh, understanding what the uh, capabilities are of a AI initiative, right? So whether it's a large language model, whether it's computer vision, whether it's machine learning, whatever it is, the the business side needs to understand there needs to be an education effort or level at least to bring them to up to speed as to what is what's capable yeah. right what is it that we can do with these tools and then the other question and this is probably one of the biggest challenges there is is coming up with what is the question you're trying to answer yeah um, so when you think about and I kind of break it down into these three categories of efficiency effectiveness and and decision making, that's really what these tools tend to be focused on is how can I become more efficient you know, with the resources that I've got? How can I be more effective around meeting my customer expectations or identifying new product capabilities out there? Or what decisions can I uh, help make better because I've uh, distributed or uh, orchestrated a model that helps uh, people to see the information in, in a better light, uh, to, to be able to consume it better. Um, and whether that's through a conversational aspect of an LLM or whether it's a lift chart associated with, you know, a, uh, a, 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 a nonlinear model, you know, there's, there's challenges associated with that in explaining it to the business person as to, you know, this is what we can do and this is what it means, right? Yeah. So there's not only the, understanding of what am I asking, but when I get an answer, how do I interpret that answer? So there's definitely an education level that has to go along with this on the business side for them to be able to understand what can I use this for? This is, you know, this is a shotgun. You know, what do I point it at? Um, because it is going to, it's going to impact change. Which is, which is quite fascinating. I want to go into the concerns just but the, the thing that like you and I used to talk about, you know, as recently as five years ago was uh, with machine learning even. And we were comparing machine learning to decision trees back in those days, like rules, rules and decision trees versus machine learning. And I remember there was this big debate, like we can't unleash the beast. We've got to, everything had to ride sidecar. 
So there's also a technology framework mm. that compares and pulls all of your decisioning together. We, we could generically call that a decision ma- management, like comparison framework. But, you know, you know, we, when we went from yes, no decision tree rules into mis- machine learning and now into like expanding that with AI, we also have to have technology that allows us guardrails to be in place, which gets to my next question. What are, you know, if we look back on this episode, like Lewis predictions, Lewis said, what are the sirens or red flags that you would say, don't exit this episode without jotting these two or three things down. So there's a couple of things that really come to mind uh, in, in a question like that. Um, and especially where we are right now with all of this uh, generative AI, uh, you know, computer vision capabilities that are that's essentially knocking at the doorstep. Uh, you know, some companies are already well into deploying it. I know Procter & Gamble's got a... Uh, uh, an LLM out there that they're utilizing within their organization. The challenges are, uh, you know, uh, a, a number of aspects associated with it. One of it is the privacy and the security of the data, right? So if you're going to go ahead and put proprietary data into a LLM, uh, an open source LLM, there's got to be uh, um, essentially um, fences around the data as to how it's being incorporated and how it's being consumed. Um, so you want to be very careful from a privacy and security standpoint. The other thing that's knocking at the door, and this is something that, again, I don't think that a lot of organizations are uh, really uh, focused on. And, and it's probably one of the reasons why most organizations haven't really gone whole hog into the LLM space is because of the risks associated with the regulatory environment. Um, and so the European Union is, is pushing really hard about having some, uh, regulations in place by the end of the year. Uh, and I know the U.S. is right behind in trying to understand, you know, what are these regulations going to look like and how are they, they're going to be implemented. But the bigger challenge is if not everyone's playing by the same set of rules, then you're going to end up with all kinds of challenges. And so when you've got large com- uh, countries like China that are not signed up, for what's happening in this regulatory space, obviously it's going to make it a lot harder for them to be implemented across the, across the spectrum. I think that's such a great segue to connect, you know, we've kind of taken this journey of like all the way from like, what is AI all the way through the, like the behind the scenes discussion now into like sirens, what to avoid, you know, but I come across insurtechs and insurance carriers and technology like, thousands a day minimum I probably have 20 conversations at at a minimum in a week and everyone has AI it's got AI I mean you know hello (laughs) VCs and CVCs stop mandating it to get investment so it's 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 become flavor du jour and I'm really like mm-hmm. as a you know as <laughs> as a former person that used to build this stuff, I like look under the hood and I'm trying to understand it. So from your lens, Lewis, I really want the audience to know like how are you thinking about it as a chief data officer in terms of credible AI partners, as well as there's so many little bits and bots that are being added as AI. And I kind of wonder about not over overall enterprise governance, but like how credible do your partners have to be? Because I don't feel comfortable 
with every small thing having AI in it, because as an enterprise, like, you know, if you <laughs> company A, right, as an enterprise, I get very, like, I'm accountable for that. Like, right, like you and I, if I'm head of innovation and AI strategy and you're the chief data officer, you and I are going to answer to the enterprise architect, the, the CIO, the board of management. We've got like people that are holding us accountable. So how are you thinking, what's your advice for people and vendors and partners? Like, again, I'm, I'm just worried about this here today, gone tomorrow concept, right? It's uh, it's interesting. So, you know, back to the original question around how AI fits in, you know, this spectrum of uh, machine learning and large language models and all that. I think one of the challenges out there is that there is not a common definition for what AI is. And so, you know, when you go ahead and you ask an organization, do you have AI? They say, of course, we have, uh, you know, robotic process automation <laughs> or we have chat bots. Or we have, you know, um, you know uh, uh, operator, yeah. exit, <laughs> chatbot, please. <laughs> but, but again, you know, people look at that and it's what they were sold at the time saying, you know, hey, this is the next greatest thing. Yeah. You know, oh, we're going to go ahead and we're going to record, uh, you know, uh, all of our uh, um, customer service calls. <laughs> and we're going to go ahead and extract all the information from our, all of our customer service calls and uh, uh, go ahead and escalate them uh, based on, you know, the tenure of the conversation, right? And so having those kinds of capabilities, you know, I think a lot of organizations have made investments in these areas and they've gone ahead and they've kind of chalked it up as, well, this is innovation and we're using computers to do it. And so therefore it's AI because there's no, you know, human in the loop any longer. But, you know, one of the things that I continue to come back to is the fact that when we start talking about AI and we start talking about, you know, capabilities that are really getting beyond, um, you know, human thought. All right. So if we're starting to get into this conversational area around large language models and we get into computer vision and these other types of capabilities, the, the challenge that comes from there is the fact that um, is it believe is the output believable? Okay. And, and again, you know, with large language models, chat GPT, all these things that are open source that are out there right now, they're taking advantage of the data that they've had access to. And the believability is there, but the truth or the fact aspect of it, you may not know. And so without the capability of going back to the source to understand where that was generated from, I think there's going to be some real challenges, um, you know, over the next, I would say few years. As people try to identify um, the pathways of where did the data come from yeah. that generated this output. And so, you know, some of it's going to come from these large language models that already have, you know, billions of terabytes of information already crammed into them. But then you go ahead and you put your own proprietary information in there. And now you've gone ahead and you've tweaked the model a little bit because it's got your own company information in there. Well, when the answer comes out, did the answer come from my proprietary information or did it come from, you know, a novel that was written 30 years ago? Right. right? Um, <laughs> and, and so yeah. again, the challenge here is the believability or the bias and, you know, all the things that are being uh, influenced by all the data that's being put into here. And so we need to understand, you know, you and I, we talk about it all the time is that, you know, when we're talking about all these great things that can be done in the future, it always comes back to the data. 
right? It always comes back to the truthfulness of the information. Well, wearing the crown, yeah. even yeah. on the chessboard with AI, it's still the check, the, the, the ultimate pawn, you know, yeah, it's the position you have to checkmate with your data strategy. Yeah. So Lewis, um, I mean, we could go on and on, but I mean, I just, I love this as like, let, like breaking this down and giving these tangible bites so that people can take action. I mean, you've talked about so much today on the podcast. I'm so grateful. Like, you know, efficiency, effectiveness, decision-making, make it actionable, right? Um, the con- the yep. construct of the regulatory, how you and I are going to have that flow back and forth as the innovator or the business lead with the chief data officer, i.e. people involve your chief data officer, right? At, at, a, at, a, at a fundamental foundational level and then start with the end in mind. But what are any remaining call to actions that you would have for the audience that's listening before we, before we sign off on this first episode? The, the number one thing that I always come back to in just about every conversation that I have is change management, right? All of what we've talked about today, Lisa, is, it's going to impact change within an organization. And so if an organization is not ready for change culturally and really understand how to implement these things and adopt them into their culture, that's really where the challenge, in my opinion, comes from. Um, and so, you know, back to your, uh, you know, your original idea on this podcast of, you know, AI in the city, this is where the rubber meets the road. You know, if you don't have change management, if you don't have good education for your organization to understand what's going on and how it's going to be adopted and how it's going to influence the, uh, the value proposition of the organization, that to me is the area that really has to have a, a focus. It has to have a, uh, a specific effort uh, associated with it. And yeah, you can go ahead and you can hire data scientists. You can bring in third-party organizations to help refine your data and to set up your governance group. But if your organization is not ready for the innovation and the change that's going to impact them directly, um, it's it's going to be a challenge. And so, you know, it's it's one of the first things that they taught us when we were back at GE doing Six Sigma you know, if you don't have that change management aspect as you're improving processes, as you're improving data models, uh, it's going to be really challenging to, to well, implement. Well, thank you for that amazing, I'll call it, you know, cutting through the hype, taking us through the journey all the way from practically what is AI all the way into our favorite topic, which is you must embrace the change management aspect of this, Lewis. Such an honor to have you as a guest on our very first Insurance Unplugged AI in the City. And with that, for anybody looking to reach out to Lewis or to have more discussions with him about his amazing wealth of information, and clearly he applies that to insurance carriers, to insurance-adjacent technology, to people trying to implement these strategies, you can reach him at Data Curiosity. Thank you so much for being a guest today on our show, Lewis. This episode of Insurance Unplugged was brought to you by Expert.ai. With Expert.ai's hybrid AI approach, the symbolic AI, machine learning, and LLMs are combined to bring the level of understanding and insight offered by an experienced claims professional at scale across an organization. Join us next week as we continue our discussion on Insurance Unplugged. 
uncovering all the behind the scenes AI in the city, sponsored by expert.ai.